Welcome to the Cardiac Exchange by Medtronic. So thanks very much for joining this podcast. Uh, today, we're, we'll have a discussion uh, with some of the highlights of the ESCTS meeting, European Association meeting that was held in Barcelona in October. And I'm very happy to have here Bart Meurs from Leuven in Belgium and Martin Andreas from the University Medical University uh, of Vienna in Austria. So thanks very much for joining today. Um, we would like to start the discussion about minimally invasive aortic valve replacement, but also valve replacement, aortic valve replacement in, in more general terms. So let me start, Bart. Um, you are conducting a large registry now on the Avedis valve. And, and can you briefly describe the, the purpose of the objective of this registry? Yes, thank you, Peter. Um... I think in the, in the world of uh, aortic valve disease and the treatment we have uh, as surgeons and also our colleagues cardiologists, there are so many options to, to treat patients. We have on one hand transcatheter technology, we have on the other hand the, the surgical field and even within the surgical field there are many different treatment options. And what I, what I learn more and more, and this was also clearly uh, evident at this latest TICTS meeting that we we, we need more data. We need more data on both on the early outcomes of what we are doing and also on the follow-up, of course. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I really, um, one of the things I really like about transcatheter technology, for example, is that is it, uh, the, the, the coming of the uh, transcatheter technology has pushed us surgeons to do two things, I think, to do more safe and elegant and potentially more minimally invasive surgery on one hand. And secondly, it has pushed us to look more at the data, to collect our data more, to look at echoes, to look at uh, echo follow-up. Now, of course, Peter, as you know, data collection is not easy. Um, um, it is. It can become easy if you have a formal prospective trial ongoing usually sponsored by the industry somehow in some way. Uh, but of course, these trials are uh, very expensive and you, they come along with a lot of exclusion criteria as well. So you end up with a quite selected patient population. So we tried to, to, to put our uh, piece of the puzzle, so to say, and to do, we, we, we initiated a, a multi-center uh, registry specifically on the Avalus valve, because you know this is a relatively new pericardial valve, uh, but open for commercial use across the world. And so we uh, introduced the possibility of doing a, 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 a data collection by a relatively simple and elegant uh, uh, data collection tool. And for the moment, I can say, uh, I cannot give you a lot of details for the moment, but we have more than 25 centers who are in the process of who are really actively involved in the registry and more than 160 patients already enrolled. And this is an interesting, interesting exercise. And actually a lot of surgeons and a lot of centers are really uh, very enthusiastic to participate and to give their data. Right. Yeah, so, so, Bert, you said that, you know, there are many options now for aortic valve replacement and you're, you're focusing with this study on, on let's say, on one option, the, the uh, surgical AVR. Um, what, what have you otherwise heard at the meeting 
Um, you know, we have mechanical prostheses, we have rust procedures, uh, we have stainless valve, the freestyle valve, uh, and also transcatheter heart valve. Do you see the landscape changing? Well, a very good comment, Peter. And, and I think the, the, the uh, aortic valve disease has become a moving target for the moment. You know, very recently, only in, in 2021, we had also new guidelines. Uh, these guidelines were quite revolutionary as well because they opened up uh, a lot of options towards the transcatheter treatment, uh, for example. But also, as you mentioned, in the surgical field, there are still so many options, uh, tissue valves, mechanical valves, ROS procedures, and, and so on. And I remember very well, we had several meetings, both in, in industry symposia, but also in the general forum, really discussing about um, early outcome, early safety, uh, comparing transcatheter to surgical, comparing mechanical to tissue valves. And to be honest, I, hear, I still hear a lot of questions. I don't hear a lot of clear cut, straightforward answers for the moment. Um, so my, my learning from this year was that we, we, we need more time and we need more data uh, to, to learn and to see um, uh, what we are doing, what, what is the best option for our patients. Right. Yeah, good. So, so Martin, um, if you hear about this Avalis registry, uh, what do you see as an advantage of, of you know, conducting such a study? Well, thank you. I think the, the most important issue in, in Vive technology at the moment is durability. Uh, because um, what we see is that the transcatheter technology is um, it's feasible at uh, low periprocedure risk. And uh, the data, however, um, are getting bad after two or three years. So we know that durability will be one of the main issues of the future. And um, the registries, uh, which are conducted in a way controlled manner, are the key to, um, to get clear ideas about the durability data and also other adverse events. Uh, this is due to the fact that um, long-term follow-up is very hard to do. And there are a lot of pitfalls which can lead to wrong interpretations or wrong data collection. So we, we need long-term registries. And I don't say clinical trials because typically a randomized trial is done for five years and then it's, it's concluded into registry. So we need long-term registries. So I really, I'm really happy about this initiative. And I want to see more like this, actually. Yeah. And, and so, Bart, then... What are the inclusion exclusion criteria for the registry? Oh, we specifically kept it very wide. We only exclude uh, like emergency cases and we only um, uh, exclude pediatrics, for example. But of course, for the Avalis valve, this is not really a, 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 an option. So this is really like a real world uh, experience, real world data in a very wide category of patients. It can be single uh, AVR, uh, which will predominantly be minimally invasive, but it also can be a lot of combined cases, combined with cabbage or double valves, triple valves. And for example, we, we try to be more, uh, a, a much more real world experience than what was done, for example, in the Perigon trial, because the Perigon trial was the official Evolus uh, uh, trial, of course, 
which was conducted and showed very nice five-year results at the at EX. Uh, but we try to be more wide, a more real-world experience. Right. So, so the I know that uh, Martin is an advocate for minimally invasive aortic valve replacement. Those patients can be enrolled as well. The technique doesn't matter. Is that oh, correct? No, ab absolutely. We uh, absolutely all all techniques are very welcome, and there is a. Uh, a simple variable that collects the the access route, so we can uh, post factum we can divide into stenotomy versus mini stenotomy versus thoracotomy patients. If that right. would be a, a point of interest to 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 look at. So Martin, um, we know you're an advocate of minimally invasive aortic valve replacement. What what kind of uh, procedure do you prefer for minimally invasive surgery? Um, typically, I prefer if it's uh, um, an anatomy, which is possible, I would go for the anterior right thoracotomy as it's the sternum sparing approach. And it can be done um, with, uh, with uh, also with cannulation in the thorax, which we do in Vienna, um, which is favorable because we, we avoid to have complications in the groin. Um, but if the order is not feasible or the anatomy of the valve seems to be kind of complex, or we go for upper hemistenotomy. So I think this is um, the, the aortic valve can be approached very, uh, very standardized now. And uh, the, this uh, leads to a high, uh, a high um, amount of success rate and the low adverse event rate. Right. And, and so what is your percentage of um, anterior thor thoracotomy versus um, minimally invasive sternotomy? The... Well, I would say it's kind of 50-50. Okay, right. But you try to avoid the groin, whatever you can. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, personally, as I'm doing a lot of TAVI procedures, uh, I do, uh, if I go for minimal invasive mitral surgery, I use a percutaneous cannulation of the groin. This is right. uh, avoiding lymph fistula. But typically patients with aortic valve disease have more calcium in the vessels. So um, they, are, uh, they are, may have a higher risk of stroke if you reverse the flow from the groin. And therefore we like to use cannulation in the thorax it's just to reduce the risk of stroke. Right. And do you use conventional prosthesis when you do minimally invasive aortic valve replacement, or do you use sutures heart valves? Um, it depends on the anatomy. Um, if there is a aortic stenosis and especially a small aortic root, we tend to use sutureless valves. Um, if there's aortic regurg or distorted root or a big root, we go for uh, we go for suture valves. But typically, we use a corner device in, a, in addition for having a reduced uh, operation time. Right. Yeah, that's what you often hear. Right? That the core valve, the coronal procedure, is then very useful in conventional prosthesis and minimally invasive uh, setting. Yeah. Um, did, did you hear in the meeting that more and more people are you know, trying to do minimally invasive surgery or are, are people still pioneering? Yeah, it's a, it's a big difference between the, between the countries. I think in, in, in Germany, for example, and also increasingly in Austria, we have a very standardized approach to minimally invasive surgery. 
And the panel in one discussion also myself were quite surprised that, it's, uh, for example, in the UK, minimally invasive mitosurgery seems to be kind of exceptional. So, yeah, I would say uh, it, it needs to be uh, a more uh, a more uh, widespread approach for the technologies we have at hand because uh, transcatheter technologies are spreading fast and we as surgeons need to be prepared for having the best uh, solutions uh, available for the patients. Right. So, so Bart, do you, do you see also that minimally invasive surgery is a kind of competitor for transcatheter heart valves? Well, yeah, I think absolutely, Peter. And I think uh, I, I have to um, acknowledge what was said by Martin. Sometimes when you see the, the um, sort of official data on the percentage of minimally invasive single aortic valve surgery in a lot of countries or across the world, it's still quite, um, um, it's not so high. You see some sometimes figures of only 25, 30, 35%. While, for example, when I speak for my center, and we are the, the biggest center in, in Belgium, a single aortic valve disease is, is practically all, always done minimally invasive. Uh, even, the, even the more complex procedures like a root procedure or like also some arch uh, surgery is done through, through a mini sternotomy. But I think the, the, the message is getting through more and more. I think more and more surgeons and certainly the younger uh, generation are really fascinated and, and really are convinced by the fact that you can do a perfectly safe operation through a smaller incision. And I have to say, when I see patients in the outpatient clinic um, and you discuss in versus surgery and transcatheter, if it is still a full sternotomy, I mean, the discussion is, is finished quite rapidly because people will, will are afraid of that. But if you say that the, the, the sternum is either only open for, for like uh, half or 30%, or like Martin is doing, you're doing the, the operation through trachotomy, the discussion changes and the patients feel more, they feel more safe, they feel more uh, comfortable. And uh, uh, like Martin has, has said correctly, we have so many uh, techniques now, both in cannulation as in not tying with the corner device, that it has become easier even to do traditional sutured uh, standard pericardial valves. So I think we, 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 have, we have to keep on doing this. We have to keep on providing a good and safe minimal access surgery, certainly for those patients who have only single aortic valve disease. Uh, and then I think that we will, be, we will get into a more balanced situation with the transcatheter technology. Um, yeah, so, so is it the point of discussion in the heart team, uh, whether you can do it minimally invasive or not? So are the cardiologists listening to your arguments that minimally invasive aortic valve surgery is a good alternative? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if we are, and this goes both for mitral as for aortic valves, if we are, if you have, sort of, for example, a more fragile patient, and he has, for example, some uh, COPD, some pulmonary disease, or there is some uh, immune disease or whatever. I mean, the, the card our cardiologists at least are asking, is there an option to go minimally invasive? Because they know this operation is less invasive than, than, than the full sternotomy. And then this, this, balance, this swings then the decision back to surgery again. Yeah. But of course, within a center as a surgeon, you have to be able yeah, you have to, you have to, you need someone in your department that can offer 
minimal invasive mitral surgery, minimal invasive aortic valve surgery. Um, I think this is, this is really the way to go. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.